Okay, let's get this party started. I'm hitting record on the meeting. Cool. All right, well, it's another crazy day at the dojo. You know what I mean, Vin? <laughs> it's just fun and frolic over there. It is indeed. Dojo. Well, we have a... Uh, you know, we you know this is bound to happen eventually. You know, we have a few folks in today and uh, working on getting some uh, bagpipes working better. So um, excellent. So it's going to be a bagpipe. What was that? Is that a cat? Yeah, that's uh, that's Rocky. He's our he's our newest addition. Rocky the cat, huh? There's Carl. There he is. So, um, so you know, one of the things that we have to mention, of course, is that I believe the Metro Cup is this weekend. It is. It is on Saturday. When actually the whole weekend, they have the piping centers running workshops and, and a lower grade uh, solo competitions as well on Friday. And Sunday as well. So, um, yeah, so it matures and continues all the way through into the night. Yeah, that's great. I um, I all I almost always go on a mini vacation on President's Day weekend. It's like one of those. It's a tough weekend. Yeah. If you're involved in it, well, for me, it's like it's the one final weekend before bagpipe season starts to get going really crazy. So, unfortunately, I um, I've never actually been to the Metro Cup, which I know is uh, sacrilege, but. Uh, it's it's not for. Uh, it's, it's quite the event. It's it's a really it's really uh, you know for for those of, uh, who are interested in going and have never been, it's uh, they have a Peabrock. The amateur contest starts at eight, and that's Peabrock and MSR, and then for invited grade one players, and then professional starts at twelve with the Peabrock and continues through with a medley contest into the evening. Yeah. yeah. So competitors, it's always it's always it's always good for a good uh, for good performances from the likes of you know Gordon Walker and and others like that who kind of enjoy That's, that format. Yeah. Seem to make it work well. Who have been like who who have been some of the past winners recently? Like who's the defending champion right now? Defending did, champion. Did Gordon win last That's year? A good question. I don't know. Ugh. That's already 12 yeah. months ago, man. <laughs> you're asking, my, you're pushing my memory to limit. Um, I think you know. Uh, I think last year could have been Andrew Hayes. Someone, overall. someone here says Gandhi. Well, we've got to be able to find this out. Gandhi, maybe. let me. Gandhi's he's won it several times overall. Um, he may have he may have done that because he usually places strong in both contests. Um, you know, but the likes of Willie McCallum has won like the last before that like three times in a row. Um, I think Roddy McLeod has won the P-Rock once. Stuart Little, uh, Gordon Walker won the P-Rock a couple times. Um, so this year, we, this year Angus McCall's making another appearance. I think he came last year for the first time. Um, see, Roddy McLeod actually hasn't been there in a while. So been, 2008 was Willie McCallum. We're looking for 2012, right? Metro Cup 2012. So let's see I here. I actually have that handy here. Hold on a second. 2011, that's not going to help. Hmm. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, geez, I don't know, man. It's surprisingly hard to find that information, but uh, I'm sure yeah, it shouldn't be so hard, I guess. Sure <laughs> um, anyway, nevertheless, uh, you get you get a good you get a good uh, yeah. The, the winds tend tend to flip flop around, um, you know, through the you know amongst the expected parties, if you will, you know, you know, you got Willie McCallum, Stuart Little, Stuart Stuart's not coming this year actually, but we have uh, Angus McCall, Ronnie McLeod, Bruce Gandy, Alex Gandy. Is going, John Patrick, Glenn Brown, uh, Andrew Carlisle is going to be there for the first time. Cool. Um, yeah, so it's going to be quite the lineup. It's always always a great night, and really really good playing all the time. I mean, uh, without fail, um, it does not disappoint in that department. So. Cool. Well, um, you know, without. You know, without attempting to segue in any professional way whatsoever, uh, the uh, uh, the topic I I put on for today's um, today's class is has to do with bagpipe maintenance. So we've been talking about a lot about different fundamentals uh, of bagpiping for the past couple of weeks as as we uh, as we've been in the dead of winter and there's not a whole lot of exciting stuff going on. We will of course be able to. Uh, talk about how the Metro Cup went next week, which will be nice. But uh, uh, excellent, and and the guest viewer there, there, it was Angus last year. That's kind of cool. Yeah. And then yeah. correctly, I think he played the Red Speckled Bull, which is always a good tune for him. Yeah, the best. I actually um, I actually played that tune for a while, inspired directly by Angus. So so anyway. Um, moving on to back by maintenance, and of course, I guess it's needless to say, um, I don't think bagpipe maintenance is going to be one of the major problems that the players at the Metro Cup are going to have this weekend. I don't think so, and it's pretty evident the moment they strike up to tune, which I might add as an as, a, as an aside, is an average of 11 minutes before they actually start playing. I, I did an analysis a couple of years in a row. It's like a good average of 11 minutes of tuning. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah, it is a long time. It is a long time. Jeez, Louise. Um, you know, uh, bagpipe maintenance is not going to be a problem. And I guess my the, the theme of today is going to be that, um, you know, and, and on the other hand, how much time do you think that um, Angus McCall or Willie or any of these guys, how much time do you think they spend on the day of the contest performing bagpipe maintenance? How much time? On the day. On the day. Yeah. Mm. I want to say zero, but that's not always true, is it? Oh, it I just slammed my knee in my uh, ouch. It's, uh, it depends on the, the venue, I guess. But uh. I don't think I it's zero. Say, I think I, I think, think there's probably either. there's probably a li especially a lot of them having traveled long distances. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be zero, but my the point I'd I'd like to make is that it's going to be a um, particularly short amount of time spent doing bagpipe maintenance. But um, it's done. That's, I think, an important thing to, to mention. It's like they do do it. Oh, yeah. Well, well, and the thing is, and then the day before the contest, how much time do you think they spend doing maintenance? And the answer is uh, a, a very small period of time the mm -hmm. day before. And then uh, the day before that, it's a very small period of time. And in and then I'm, I guess I'm getting, getting to the point where uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, really great pipers 
or or top pipers are spending a very small amount of time doing maintenance on their bagpipes. And uh, meanwhile, on the other hand, I, you know, and I think on on the other side of the coin. So for students of bagpiping. Uh, I think this could be, it's almost like, you know, great pipers are accidentally bad role models for students because a student will very rarely see their teacher or another great bagpiper perform bagpipe maintenance, right? Because yeah, that's, that's true, uh, right? Now, they're just, however, they're just always good, right? They just magically pull their right. pipes out of the box and they work. Everything's I've great. Seen my, in the past 10 years, I've seen my, my teacher season their pipes once. You know, or, or I've seen them bring out a roll of hemp maybe, you know, every now and then. Now, the point I want to stress is that um, great pipers, just because they don't do, just because they don't spend a lot of time doing bagpipe maintenance does not mean that uh, they don't perform a lot of bagpipe maintenance. And it's because that it's really a way of life for a good piper um, to be doing continual small amounts of bagpipe maintenance okay now um now for beginners like just going back to that or beginners or or even intermediates or even advanced players will actually not maintain their bagpipes well um and i you know and i don't think it's the fault of um the, the fault of anyone in particular although our role models we really don't see that element of it very often mm -hmm. do we right um, but but the point i'm trying to make is um Neglecting bagpipe maintenance is the number one way to destroy all of the hard work that you've done to prepare for an event, or even a or even a practice session. Yeah. Uh, or in, in some in, in some cases, I think I know in you know historically a lot of bands, especially teaching bands uh, in the lower grades, tend to do have a lot of you know that that work is centralized. So either the pipe major's doing it or the guy who's teaching. The students does it, and then just hands back a working set of bagpipes back to their student. You know, so you have a, you have you have open for a, not only is it you're you're not even learning how to do the maintenance. It's in some cases it's possible that the maintenance is not even done correctly, but you have no control over that. So you just handed an instrument, and now you're now you're supposed to be good to go. You know. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I guess the point. I, I guess the question is, you know, how do we how do we reach a point ourselves where we're able to do small amounts of work uh, each time we play to make sure our bagpipe is maintained. So, um, and it also says, uh, Lisa says it's like a good housekeeper. Take care of things as they go along, so as not to have any big issues. And uh, by the way, I struggle with cleanliness. Uh, the same way many of us struggle with bagpipe maintenance, because you're absolutely right. So if you can do some of the basic things as you go every single day or every single time you're in your house or in your room, if you can make sure, okay, let's make sure that I make my bed. Let's make sure that uh, the laundry or the pajamas go um, in the hamper or what have you uh, every time I take them on or off. Um, let's, I don't know. Dusting is one of those annoying things. I don't think – I think I've dusted – well, let me put it this way. I think my wife asked me to dust uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, and I, I literally looked at her like, how does one dust exactly? Uh, I, I just want to apply the word dust as a verb. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, 
So she, so she sort of looked at me funny because, of course, she's much more put together than I am with that kind of thing. And I don't really mind dusting, although, with that said, having not dusted for the past trillion years, uh, it was a pretty messy job. Now, meanwhile, if I could dust, if I could dust uh, once a week, just do a quick swipe of the important things once a week, um, it would certainly not be a very big, uh, a very big job. Yes. And speaking of you know nouns that turn into verbs, is you know hemp is one of those things that uh, you know, falls into that category. You know, it's it's one of those things that needs, requires constant attention, and you need to know how to do it and pay attention to it. Right, and if you and if you always have a roll of hemp in your pocket when you're playing your pipes, then you can quickly address any changes that may have happened to that joint, um, you know, since the last time you played. And let's face it, things can happen. So so if we have our hemp ready, we can quickly fix the problem in probably 20 seconds or less. However, if we let our bagpipe fall into complete disarray, um, there's going to be more than one joint to hemp, and it's going to take longer periods of time. And of course, all the while, if, if, a, if a joint is too loosely hemped, uh, we're going to be leaking air, and so the quality of our tone is going to be less good. So let's read a couple of these. Siri says, I've noticed that my good tutors can play all kinds of setups. They can play someone else's pipe and make it sound pretty much, uh, pretty much, but uh, on their own setup, make them really sing. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the fundamentals of setting up an instrument are going to be the same regardless of different types of setups. So what she's referring to there is maybe a Ross Canister bag versus a um, sheepskin bag, or this set of drone reeds versus that set of drone reeds. And yes, a good piper will be able to make a, a good sound come out of any of these instruments. Uh, granted, of course, their own setup is going to be the, what they consider to be the ultimate combination of stuff. And so, um, needless to say, as long as they uh, you know, know what they're doing, they will have uh, a lot of success making it really sound good. Um, for example, uh, you know, I, I like to play my sheepskin setup, and uh, I, you know, that's certainly the best sound I can get, and I, and I don't really choose to play other setups. So, uh, and I wouldn't be able to make a, a Canmore bag sound even remotely as good as Angus McCall. I, I'm not sure if that's exactly his setup now, but I know at one point he was doing that, and it was like, whoa, you know, whoa, look, like, check out that sound, a very simple bag which you know I'm not familiar with but he was able to get a phenomenal sound out of it um, and you know like you can look at uh, uh, you know Field Marshal Montgomery presumably still playing sheepskin bags right and they're able to get a phenomenal sound out of it then and, and then compare it to a Dalco Triumph Street right they, mm -hmm. they play they play as far as I know they play a Ganaway and um, you know and they're able to get a unique but still really outstanding sound out of that um, this, that, and the other thing. So, so that's a good observation, Siri. I, but all of these, I'm, yeah. But all of these are, are you know, they're they are making maintenance their lifestyle choice, right? To, to, in order to do that, and I think that's that's the key message is that no matter what setup you're playing, you have to know ins and outs, and to do that, you have to really sort of embrace <laughs> the constant maintenance idea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's go into. Here's the thing. Okay, so. Uh, it's a way of life. Um, maintenance is it should be a way of life. If we can do it a little bit every single time we play, um, we are going to uh, be able to spend a lot less time maintaining our pipes and a lot more time playing pipes. Oh, I'm sure I took it. I'm sure. Hold on one second. Maybe uh, 
Am I sure I took it? It's not in my pocket. So um, hold on one second. Let me see if I can sort this out. Vin, you tread water for two seconds here. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about it. coming out of the closet for your way of life or bagpipe maintenance. Um, as Andrew said, it's uh, you know you want to spend a lot more time playing pipes than uh, than maintaining them. So and I think that's really a, an important idea. It's more a mindset for me, you know, uh, as far as the way of life. It's really about thinking about um, what you want to achieve, you know, over overarching goals, I guess, and uh, you know having them applied every time you pick up your instrument and not being satisfied with sort of. You know, imperfection, say in, in your joints or in your air efficiency and reed strength, things like that, things of that sort. Um, it's just about being conscious of that, you know. Um, so, and he's back. I am back. Sorry about that. I uh, I, I stole a customer's roll of hemp. I feel terrible about this. <laughs> Um, I offered him this. I was just, I was just, I was just mentioning. I was just mentioning. I was like, you know, as far as it's a way of life, it's more about you know, a whole, an over, an overall mindset of thinking about the way, you know, what you want to achieve, you know, with your sound and with your your setup, and always never, you know, sort of never being satisfied if things are out of place or out of whack, and always striving to adjust them and fix them and make them keeping them the way they need to be, you know. Right. Well, that's what I wanted to do next. Is I wanted to theoretically go through. Um, how to, you know, what our mental checklist, someone was mentioning checklists earlier. And um, I guarantee that all good pipers are doing this. But for me, the key is this, and I'm sure, Vin, you, you, I know you do the same thing here, is um, every single time uh, I, I pick up my instrument, I have a certain mental checklist I go through. Uh, to make sure my instrument is uh, maintained properly. And I actually have a system for remembering the checklist, too, because um, – and, and before we move on, let's address any of these questions. So uh, Patricia says, question on first-time bagpipe, what would be the best to get for your first quality set? Let's talk about that a little bit later, um, especially because Carl will be joining us shortly, and he has lots of good thoughts on that. Uh, and then Siri is saying maintenance is like being a gearhead, as opposed to being a celebrity who owns a bunch it's of a good cool example. cars. Every time there's a little ping somewhere in an engine, you know that the, the person, you know that kind of person, always knows. Oh, something's wrong. I got to fix it, and they'll spend you know an hour sorting it out and then getting it right. You know. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, example. and also, it also doesn't matter how great your bagpipe is or how sweet your car is, um, if you have no knowledge of you know how to how to tweak it and maintain it on the go, or if you don't have a person you could hire that knows how to do that um, it's those cars aren't going to be as useful as they were and it's the same with bagpipes so you know uh, uh, people with super expensive sets often don't sound very good and it has nothing to do with the set it has everything to do with maintenance okay so and then lisa says her problem is not knowing what's causing the issue so back to our checklist so i actually have a mental checklist that i go through that works 100 percent of the time Okay, um, and it's a very as long as I go through the checklist, I have flawless maintenance every time. Okay, and then I know I'm sure you have your own checklist too. All right, so here's how I do it. Here's my secret. Okay, I mentally, uh, I'm I'm uh, 
I, I think about from the inside out. Okay, that's my secret. So the secret to my checklist is I'm going to logically work my way through my instrument from the inside out. Or another way to think of it is I trace the airflow through the instrument. Before I move on, let me ask, what is the number one goal of bagpipe maintenance? And uh, what's the number one thing? It's very Indeed, simple. Well, got an answer. Everybody's it's got an answer. Simple answer. Hal Grout says air efficiency. Lisa says air tightness. Air efficiency. Effectancy, I see. All right. So it all has to do with air. Well, air-based. Well, these are all pretty much correct. I have an even simpler way. William says tone. Not quite yet. See, I wouldn't say tone is the objective of bagpipe maintenance. I would say bagpipe maintenance is a prerequisite to producing good tone. Mm-hmm. Air flows, everything can't lose air. Exactly. Okay, moisture control. All right, well, moisture control is, I, I consider it to be separate from overall yeah, that's maintenance. That's a side benefit of the maintenance, too, I think. Okay. Now, okay, so here we go. Number one goal. It's actually the single goal for me is no leaks. That's my goal. It's very simple. Like error, error efficiency for me less, is that, that's even okay. less eloquent than, than the engineering speak efficiency. You know, air efficiency, thermodynamic yeah. streamlining. Yeah. <laughs> efficiency is like like I don't do words that are larger than two syllables, and these this these are two words, both of which are one syllable. So for me, uh, it helps keep it simple. Uh, and uh, my number one goal: no leaks. Right. So no leaks. I am. A, my number one goal is not to let any air leak out. Now, obviously, some air has to go through the reeds uh, to make the sound, right? But that's not a leak. That's what we want it to do. That's the purpose of the air. A leak is when air escapes your bagpipe in a way that's not um, necessary or a way that's not contributing to the sound of your instrument. So what are some ways, uh, what are some ways that air can leak out of your instrument? Maybe you guys can type in, uh, you know, uh, you know something that comes to mind. What are some ways air can leak? It's very easy to think about in terms of uh, where the air is supposed to leave, and if you think about those, basically the opposite. Anything else is <laughs> the answer. I think. Cool. So, so let's say. Um, so here's some ways it can leak. So uh, Jonathan says pour valve. Good one. Um, holes. Obviously, if there's a hole in your bag, yeah, you're gonna have a problem. Uh, no hole in muffler but goes to carbs. Not sure what that means. But, uh, okay, yes, exactly. Joints not airtight. And that's a, that's a big one, especially in these synthetic bags that have grommets on them. Yep, the back, you know, the back flow. Uh, and then someone else. Uh, stocks and joints. Stocks People are missing joints, yeah. some very crucial pieces. I think that I've always found is is essential if you want to yeah. just keep leaks, you know, to Too a to easy. zero. Bag not airtight. Okay, so in other words, the the skin, the skin or leather or material 
is um, not holding air well, right? Uh, drones are too open. That is a great one. Mm -hmm. All right, zipper on the bag could be lip, uh, leaking. Yeah, that one too. That's a big one. Okay. Never-ending source of frustration. There's mm. another really big one no one's mentioned yet. I know. At least I not that I've seen. Which one you, I know what you're talking about. What else? Because there are more. There are more. Chanter read too easy. I don't think so. Um, seasoning, yeah, like so. Seasoning would be. The you know, skin leather not holding air. I guess, yeah. Okay, yeah, That's and then, you know, so I'll just add needs seasoning. Seasoning is more of a solution, but if it's badly seasoned, that could be a reason. Um, Chant to read too easy is not a way, uh, is not leaking, right? I mean, the air is going through the chant to read. So it might, you might need a new read, but it's not a maintenance issue. Uh, okay, there's still sort of, a, sort of a, a set of one, there's one too that, that no one, which is the source of other problems, which is you know hairline cracks and things like that that you need to check Ooh. periodically. Yeah, yeah well the only it's way... not an often thought of thing right away, but it's always one that's on should be on your mind, you know. So taking yeah. a peek at things to make It'd sure that there's be... no. Yeah, the only thing though is it would have to be in the stocks, right? If you have cracks in the drones above the stocks, that's not a maintenance issue. That's a potential tonal issue. Uh, right. You know, because you're not leaking air. Once, once the once the uh, the air passes through the reeds, you know, um, we're, we've moved beyond uh, the air tightness issue. Um, reeds not seated tight enough. There it is, Hal. Good one. Reed seats. Reed seats. I think reed seats is the number one most underrated, super huge maintenance issue that people overlook. Okay, um, if you think about it, and I'll, I can use my practice chanter as an example, right? It, if the air, right, the air is coming at this reed, and we, we need the air to go through, you know, the tiny little space in that reed. And so it's going to actually be pretty difficult for the air to go through there, right? Okay, so, so it's going to take a lot of force for the air to make it through that little crack, and we want it all to go through there. Now, if the reed seat is loose, right? How much easier is it for the air to work its way through that exit as opposed to the tiny hole in the reed? It's a much, uh, especially if the reed is super loose, right? The looser it is, the easier it will be for the air to escape. Think about like, um, think about a river, right? Uh, a river is big, and when the river is really wide and big, everything's moving slowly and it's happy. But when the uh, when the width of the river changes the water starts to uh, go faster and faster, right? And uh, at least I believe, I could be wrong here, and I really don't care because I like the image in my head. Um, as, as the air becomes funneled closer and closer to the reed, right, um, the, the intensity is going to be, the intensity and pressure is going to be a lot greater at that particular yeah. point, yeah. right? And, and, and so, you know, it's simple. It's just going to find the easiest way out. That's as simple as whether it's yeah. air or water or anything else. It's always going to find, under pressure, the easiest route to release. Right. Exactly. So a reed seat is an, is very, very important to keep airtight, right? Or else air will be leaking out right at the point where you want it to be funneled through that reed and you want to be getting that sweet tone. Mm -hmm. I, um, you know, Which is why whenever you get a new chanter reed, you should replace the hemp with waxed hemp. Waxed hemp is obviously less porous than unwaxed hemp. Okay, so so you need some sort of airtight material, 
uh, to wrap around those reed seats to make them truly tight, right? It's also why when you get easy drones from the factory, I like to cut off the rubber stuff and use hemp because hemp will not only be airtight, but it'll also mold really nicely to the seat. And, um, you know, when we don't want any uh, air to be sneaking out of there. Okay. Uh, any, any air that sneaks out is obviously bad. And I think it's much more likely to sneak out of a reed seat um, because it's trying desperately not to go through the reed, right? Because it requires so much uh, force and energy to get through there. Um, so reed seats are really important. <laughs> okay. Are there anything else that can cause leaks? I think cracks, you know, watch out for cracks in the stocks and cracks in the blowpipe as well. Uh, any crack in the blowpipe can cause a major leak. Uh, what else we got? Have we covered them all? <laughs> Siri says when we blow raspberries. Well, that's okay. not a maintenance issue. That's <laughs> a uh, that's a physical that's a physical strength issue. Um, so if our lips haven't built up that strength, um, we're not going to be able to hold the seal that that long. I think I think we've. Uh, I think we've covered most of the issues. Now, there are secondary issues. Right, a top cap on a drone. Yeah, that's sometimes, well, you know, the, the cracks or any kind of looseness or, or things like that in the upper parts of your drones can produce leaks because essentially the air, you know, the sound is traveling on air. So if you've got a release point, uh, some of that air is going to be released so it affects the sound. And yes, it will leak and it might not be as huge an issue and you might not feel it. You know, it, it's one of those things where if everything else is right, you might not notice it, but you'll notice it in the sound, and it just might be wonky or unstable, and then you realize you know, you're working a little bit harder than you should, but it's a, it's a subtle thing. Uh, but it's, mm -hmm. it is an important uh, thing to check, you know, those kinds of things, making sure you're, you know, those drone caps and, uh, you know, the ferrules sometimes can be culprits as well. Small cracks under the ferrules um, can cause stuff like that as well. Yeah. So um, anyway, so so here's a big list of things that could go wrong, and there might even be more. My question is, how the heck am I going to remember this? This is a lot of junk I got to remember. Certainly, if I'm going to do it every time I play, and if I wanted to take a very short period of time in order to remember all this stuff, how the heck am I going to do it? Okay. Now, my answer I sort of set up at the top is I'm going to work from the inside out. Or maybe you could say that I'm tracing the airflow through my instrument. So here we have all this all this junk. We're gonna get rid of it. Okay? We're gonna trace the air. So so what when you blow into your instrument, what is the first maintenance issue that's gonna be addressed? Like the first way as the air works through your instrument, what's the first major thing? And don't say flapper valve, because remember the flapper valve only comes into play when we stop blowing. So it's actually a little bit later. So what would be the first number one thing as we trace the air through the bag? And I don't know, Vin, if you use this method, but I find it's really, um, this is really the way to go. First thing that we need to think about as far as tracing the air through the instrument. And frankly, you know, um, I, I really don't consider cracked stocks usually in my routine, but I probably should. No, I, I don't either, but it's, it's always something I'm thinking about. So you always, like, you always do that sort of ones over, you know, when you pull the pipes out of the box and you're just sort of looking at them just to make sure that, you know, or when you put them away, you just sort of give them a look over and just make sure that, because, you know, especially in the East Coast, you get varied temperatures inside, outside, hot, cold, and mm -hmm. wreaks havoc on the wood. 
Yeah, so it's it's probably worth just checking the general instrument first, but then the next one. Now, see, these are all interesting ideas. So, uh, blow stick, hemp, two loose, tightness of stock joints. For me, number one thing is uh, bag air tightness is the first thing, and that's before stocks, right? Because for me, I think about the bag, right? And then from the bag, we're gonna go up through the stocks. So so for me, my mental checklist is the bag first. So I get the, the air is going into the bag first, so I gotta make sure that sucker's holding air. All right, so for me, the first thing on my list, bag. So how do I check uh, for bag air tightness? Well, I can do a couple of things, but basically we're gonna cork, uh, cork off uh, cork off the stocks, uh, cork off stocks, and uh, uh, blow up the bag as tight as I can, and it should not leak any air across a 30 second span of time. Okay, and that's that's my routine for checking the bag air tightness. Okay. And then, yes, obviously, the tie-in is related to this, right? If the tie-in is loose, we're going to know when we blow this up. As a matter of fact, your stock will probably pop right out if your tie-in is loose, uh, if you do this test. So the first thing I'm going to do is bag air tightness test. If it's not airtight, <clears throat> if I'm playing a high bag, I can season it. If I'm playing a synthetic bag and it's not airtight, what are some things that I'm going to have to try? Well, I'm going to have to make sure the tie-in is tight. Mm -hmm. But then I might have to identify where this thing's leaking from. It's one of the hidden drawbacks of a synthetic bag is if air starts to leak out of it, there's nothing you can do to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. There's some you know, sort of temporary measures, but for the most part, it's, there's really nothing permanent that can be done. And it's a problem even on the, you know, sort of these sealed leather bags as well. You know, you think you think all your problems are solved and you've got, you know, this high bag with a zipper and everything is good. But it's, you know, these the, once once they start leaking from the body, <laughs> you know, it's right. really an impossible thing to fix permanently. Good. So every time I every time I get my pipes out, I think about bag air tightness. Now, I do not cork the bag off every time that I play. I don't. That would be that would take way too long, and I just want to get to playing. But I am going to do this um, whenever I suspect, you know, whenever I'm sensing a problem, I'm going to check the air tightness. And the other thing is, whenever I've gone for quite a while without playing, like um, if I go to Florida this weekend and I don't bring my pipes with me, which is probably <laughs> going to happen, so I'm probably not going to practice this weekend very much. Um, so. I am going to, um, uh, when I get back from Florida, I'm definitely going to do this bag air tightness because I know they've been sitting for a while and sometimes the seasoning can dry up or things are just dry so it might be leaking. So I'm going to check it. Uh, with sheepskin bag, you can lose seasoning through the seams even when it's well tied in. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, like, and there are short-term measures you can do to try and uh, cork the hole in a bag, and that's fine. Um, but anyway, I'm just talking about general, my, my game plan, right? You can do anything you want to address air tightness, and you're going to have to if you're leaking. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, I play sheepskin, so my, my solution is, is a nice seasoning usually, and um, that's going to that's gonna really tighten it up. And I don't move on. I'm not going to move on to step two until that bag is 
and 10% airtight. Like uh, if it was the shape of a football, it would be holding air as well as a football. Um, you know, uh, for th at least 30 seconds, right? No leaks. And of course, you know, the next thing after you check the basic leaks, you know, this is the point where we are going to want to make sure the flapper valve's not leaking. Okay. Yeah. Just and, and just as an as an aside too. I mean, if you're not, I mean, what part of not checking it every time with the cork stocks is is a is a feel issue too. When you put it, you know, you, if you've got everything else going on right and you, you blow up your pipes, you should feel the difference when something's not airtight in the bag, you know, compared to when you know you played it when it is airtight. And if you are not familiar with that difference, if that's too subtle, then this would be a good exercise to do until you become familiar with that feeling of, yeah. you know, when the bag is not performing the way it should, you know. When you become familiar with the feeling, you cannot play any other instrument. Um, you know, it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. Like, I can't even play... Uh, my bagpipe is super efficient. It, it, it really, really is. You know, Carl is the maintenance guru around here. He, he's, he's good at it. But my bagpipe's more efficient, man, 100%. Like, when I play Carl's bagpipe, it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of joking. His is definitely the second best bagpipe I can think of. Um, an, interesting, an interesting anecdote is the first time I felt a perfectly efficient instrument. I was very young. I was probably 10 or 11, and I was at Invermark. Uh, and I was in Norman Gillis's class, and I think I think I've told the story before, but he must have been able to sense clearly that my bagpipe was not that efficient. Um, and you would assume Norman Gillis, you know, he's going to have this huge instrument that's really tough and strong, mm. and he's like, "Go ahead, give that a give that a blow." It just amazingly gorgeous instrument, and you blow it up, and it is efficient, man. It's so easy, and it's a true joy to play it, right? And uh, it takes very uh it, it it takes virtually no uh effort to play this thing and it was like oh that's interesting and it's weird and <laughs> right. until you feel it you don't really know what you're going for right. i you know i found that and then once i felt that you know and and then i definitely get that now right when i'm playing as long as i'm i'm paying attention to what i'm doing but it's anyway my point is and then you were saying that too, Ned, is, you know, as soon as you have a little bit of time on a really efficient instrument, you're going to be able to sense immediately when it's not right. Um, mm. And whenever I sense that, that's when I decide to go back to step one and, and go through these checklists. So uh, the bag has to be airtight. That sucker's got to stay like a football for 30 seconds. And that's my, that's my objective here with, with step one. Uh, Bagpipe like football. So, so, Andrew, I, I hear there was a, a, a dig there against the efficiency of my bagpipe. Yes. Um, you're a very nice fellow, Carl, but my bagpipe uh, is uh, more efficient than yours. I when don't it's know, going. man. Uh, but anyway, uh, but it is we'll what see it which is. which one yeah. can win the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, that's my, so the objective of step one for me, very simple, bagpipe, like football, 30 seconds. So that's that's the objective of step one, okay? So we're keeping things simple. Now, um, next next steps. Now we have an airtight bag, okay? What's the next step? And this is where I go to joints, yeah. okay? I see, but I take a half step back, and Sierra brings up a good point. Like, you're, you're blowing up that, that, uh, that bag with this cork stock. You know, the stock's corked, but you've got a blow stick that you're using, so that thing has got to be... You've got to make sure and confirm that that is 100% yeah. 
uh, proper and airtight itself. I, I actually, I'm at a point now where I suspect, loose. yeah, I suspect I have like some small amount of air leaking out of my mouth because I put a new one on recently, and I suspect there's a, a bit of leakage going on there. I have to check that out. Yes. You know what I do with my mouthpiece? Here's here's something I do, and my pipes are are actually still at home today. Um, but what I do is I suck on it. And that sounds weird, but I actually suck on it. And my test for the mouthpiece is um, I, I suck all the air out of it, and the flapper valve is holding it. So it gets like a little vacuum in there. And I actually let it – my trick is I know my blowpipe is airtight if I suck on it, and I could, it, it'll actually stick to my tongue. And it'll, I'll be able to dangle that baby out there. And uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if Carl maybe could demonstrate that. But that's I'm the, not demonstrating that. I am sorry. No I, way. We should charge money for Dojo Universe to see that one. Well, uh, that, let's let's keep it clean now, people. I'm just saying it like it is. No, uh, I'm just saying I want nothing to do with the kind of mold that grows inside that thing. Uh-uh. <laughs> Maybe mold grows inside of yours. But anyway, I do the suck test for the for the mouthpiece. And uh, and that's just the way it is. I'm sorry. You know, some people don't like that imagery. They're going to have to deal with it. Sean is still using leather flapper valves? Sweet jeebus. Is it possible to get leather flapper valves to be really airtight? The answer is absolutely. 100%. Yes, the answer is yes, but leather? There's many, many, many synthetic alternatives which are far superior to leather. Yeah, what do we use? Ours is sort of like a silicone rubber. Yeah, it's like a silicone. exactly what it is, thing. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but yes, uh, it is definitely possible, and um, you know, do whatever test you need to to make sure it works. But apparently, my test isn't good enough. But uh, anyway, no, but the le- so leather definitely you can you can keep that thing soft. Yeah, it has to stay soft, and you have to. I I remember when the days when I was using leather flapper, I, you, lots of Vaseline. That's yeah. that's that's the solution too. Um, so let's add a step zero here. So step zero would be make. And we'll do it in caveman speak. Make sure stocks no crack. <laughs> and I'll make it a little bit easier like that. Make sure stocks not cracked. Make sure blowpipe uh, no leaky. All right. So um, that's step zero. Uh, so before we even talk about the bag, let's make sure there are no cracks in the stocks and that the blowpipe isn't going to leak on us. Okay, so so there you go. That's uh, honestly something I need to incorporate in my routine. Anyway, we're moving on past bag pipe air tightness. The next thing, as the air moves through the instrument, the next thing it's going to come across is leaky joints, right? And so we need to, and it's very basic here, with the joints, um, make sure uh, use waxed hemp so joints are tight. That, that one's pretty easy. Um, but we overlook this all the time. We let loose joints slide all the time. If, if it can be easily moved, I guarantee you air is working its way out of there. Mm-hmm. Right? It might not be a ton of air, but remember, any leak is bad. Cavemen no like leak. Okay? Any, yeah, but I have, I have actually the opposite problem right now, I'd say, which is a very strange phenomenon, which is frustrating me, is I have a tenor drone that just, the stock, like the, it just won't go all the way in. And it's the same hemp that I had... You know, I, I, I did a great job hemping it, and it was perfect, you know, for the better part of a year, and now it won't go all the way in. It's got, like, almost too much hemp in it. I don't want to take any off, because then I'll have to put more on at some point. I know it. And then it's probably because the, it's just the, the seasons and the wood is contracted slightly, and 
It's uh, but you know, it's airtight, but it's that's that little bit sticking up above the you know the bottom of the bottom of the stock. It's that's a sound issue. You know, how tight that. should they be? That's a good question, uh, for sure. There, Lee, as well. How tight should they be? My my philosophy: it should take um, a good amount of force with two hands uh, to get them out. Um, too too much when it hurts your hands uh, to get them out. Or you can't. Okay, but get you'll it out. notice, <laughs> right? Or if you can't get it out. But see, sometimes my joints get too tight where I actually have to strain my hands in order to get it out. Um, and that's bad, right? Because if you had to make a last minute tweak to a drone reef right before you went on and you're actually straining your hands, right? That could negatively affect your finger work and your performance. Mm -hmm. So that's too tight for me. Um, and the right amount of tightness is still quite tight, but if I put a reasonable amount of force with two hands, that's when they would be able to come out. Right, and what hurts your hands might be different than what hurts my hands, but that's the for me, that's the amount. So whatever there's that amount a is, risk of, uh, and of you mean the stock the when it is too tight, as Lee says, you know, there is definitely a risk of that. You mean the stock joints, right, Andrew? Not the the drone tops. Right, I, I mean I mean the stock joints. Yeah, I don't consider those joints up there. Those are pins, or uh, yeah, those are pins. The other ones. Uh, the the stock you know the joints are just where where stuff meets the bag. Now um, Kent uses the two finger test. To me, that's not even remotely enough. Uh, you know, you know. Um, but yes, if you can't do it with two fingers, that might be okay. I, you know, for me, it's the it's still too loose because if you use three or four and you can so. turn it, that's probably too loose of the joint. Yeah, it should take for, for me. For your drone slide, you know, tuning slide, it might be different, but. Um, that's probably it's probably a good. Uh, yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah. We're not up to that point yet. Some people like Siri saying she uses the rubber jar thing to open it. Um, for me, if it requires that, it's probably a little bit too tight. Now, granted, you know, people who have less strength uh, will go for slightly looser joints. Um, and well, I've got one of those in my bag strength. too, because you know, you know, you know, you play for a long time, your hands get messy yeah. and wet, and it's hard to grip the pipes and stuff, and you need something. I worry about wear of waxed hemp on the bores of vintage pipes. Wouldn't Teflon be safer? I've heard the opposite's true. No, I've heard That's the opposite's question. true, too. Teflon is actually harder than the wood they're going into. You know, the Teflon, the material itself is actually harder. So it's, as you're putting it into the wood, over time it will wear the surface of the wood before that Teflon ever wears out. That's just a... And just, the other thing is, waxed hemp is... Or something. Yeah, waxed hemp is, is actually linen thread... Um, and would be even softer and, and more brittle, as we've all experienced, than the original hemp that was uh, the, the pipes were designed around, the cannabis hemp. So, I, I, I mean, I own a 100-year-old set of pipes, and I don't worry about that much. Uh, I haven't really seen that as a problem. Yeah, it's... I mean, you know, if you get an old set, you know, putting the joints in and out and things, I mean, yeah, you're going to get wear on the inside of those. Inside. A lot of older sets sometimes... Are a little misshapen at those points. Um, what did um, because of that? But then, what did you had some correspondence with Dave Atherton? What did he say about that topic? Oh, he hates Teflon. Okay. <laughs> he makes no I, bones to tell me, him that too. <laughs> for me, I go I go based on what I've heard from Dave Atherton because he's he's just such a true master of pipe maker. Yeah, only beeswaxed hemp. 
He's he's a, he's dead set against the pre-wax stuff that you can buy too, and so I, I mean I. I almost agree with him because the wax temp is really not beeswax; it's just plain old paraffin wax, probably, and uh, which again is like a petroleum product. It's not necessarily a natural thing, and so I always beeswax my hemp, even over the wax temp sometimes um, before I put it on. Yeah, I'm absolutely a traditionalist with that too, using just unwaxed hemp and beeswax. It's I find it's better, it's better. too because you oh, don't have to better, make the yeah. drones nearly as tight, the drone tops nearly as tight, because um, mm -hmm. they're still easy to move because the the beeswax has that natural tack to it, which I yeah. think really is is better. And 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 it, and, and it controls the moisture absorption of the hemp better. And it's oh, a more sort of contained, controllable thing. That 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 wax, plain old wax hemp doesn't do the job nearly as well. Okay, new topic, because we got we're running out of time. But uh, <laughs> your your conversation about wax is oh, really a hemp show by itself would be fantastic. <laughs> Andrew hates the topic, but yeah, <laughs> pre-waxed all the way, baby. But even though I just said I like to do with Dave Appleton, no, I should probably someday maybe I'll do it. Um, okay, so now Grant, now the other thing I would say about step two. Right? Is you you're, you should just for me when I get my pipes out, I check all of those things one time. And as long as I'm playing regularly, they're not going to change that much from the day before. But if they do, we got to take care of it. So so I check to make sure my joints are the right level of tightness every time I play. And on average, it's going to take about 10 seconds to check that. Okay. So uh, we just added about you know, 10 seconds to the routine. So what's the next thing that we do? So after all of our joints, we're confident that they're 100% airtight. We're confident that our bag is 100% airtight. And obviously we don't have any cracks in our stocks or anything, you know, silly like that, or our blowpipe's not leaking. What's next? What's the next way the air is going to try to escape? Good. Reeds is actually not, reeds is not the right answer. Um, read seats is the right answer. So, so the next thing I check are my read seats. Now, again, if you play your pipes semi-regularly, it's very rare that you're going to have a problem here, but um, check all the read seats uh, to make sure they're... Um, I mean, it depends on habits as well. You know, I, you know, a lot of people leave their pipes mostly together when they put them in and out of their box. Um, I tend to disassemble everything. And it, I put it away, disassembled, and then put it together when I play. Right. Um, so I'm always seeing my reads, you know, out, and I'm always checking it. Every, before they go in, I check it, and then go in. So that happens routinely every time I play. Mm -hmm. So there's the read seats. It's pretty straightforward, but you do have to check it, right? Especially, you know, if your pipes went through a big dry, like a big dry out maybe for whatever reason, the read seats will be loose relative to where they were before. And that's just the way it is. And so you just need to check it. So that's on my maintenance checklist. Are all my reeds firmly seated in there? And again, that takes about maybe a little bit longer because you have to take stuff out, but that maybe takes 30 seconds. Cane reeds don't seat as tightly. Well, uh, they have to seat as tightly as synthetic reeds, which can require a little bit more work and diligence, mm -hmm. um, but they must seat as tightly as all other reeds, because if they're not seated as tightly, that means there are leaks, and leaks are bad. Um, but um, they're certainly more resilient to wanting to seat tightly. Um, watch the screw you get a lot of these synthetic drone reeds too have, a, have you know, they're, they're just made of materials that allow you to really get a good, you know, a good seat in there, you know. 
yeah. cane reeds you have to be a little more delicate with. You know, you have to be careful about how tightly you jam them in there. <laughs> but, uh, right. you know, but you know, most of these bodies of the sea synthetic reeds, you can really get it. So you can, you know, they'll never move. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, Siri's pointing out. Watch the some reed designs have screws that would, that they use to adjust the tuning and so on. Um, make sure that screw is not loose because air oh, yeah. will leak through it. You know? Oh yeah, that's um, big time. That's, that's a big. That's a big concern actually. I, you know, when you're, if you're playing reeds like say the Easy Drones, which have that big screw in the front, um, I've I've always put Teflon tape on those, um, just just to, for that extra seal, just a little piece. So, because they they get they get loose, you know, they're just you can even most of the time, a lot of time when you, they come in the uh, brand new, they'll be wobbly, you know, and then maybe and, and it, or if they're not, when you play them, they expand and they become wobbly. So, you have to really make sure that they're 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 good and tight. For sure, and then um, you know, so screws, nose cones, like some reeds have those nose cones, and then watch cane reeds if you're into that. Make sure the wax is actually complete and and uh or hasn't been damaged because the reason they put the wax there is to keep the air from from leaking through so watch the wax tips of the cane reeds all right so uh reed seats are last and then what's the fourth and final vital step fourth and final vital step and uh, bill was actually kind of warm with what he said earlier This one's a little bit trickier. Check the tuning slides. Now, the tuning slides are up to you. Those, for me, that's a secondary thing. I just make sure I do. I use the two-finger test, so um, I should be able to adjust all my tuning slides with two fingers, and it should be a relatively it has to be a relatively smooth connection. Um, that's not actually what I'm talking about. That would be step five for me, is to yeah, check smooth the connection. I mean, I, that's a that's a big thing. I think a lot of people sort of overlook the. The necessary evenness or even unevenness depending on your pipes that you need you need that sort of tight fit all the way down the slide you know it has to be consistent so that temp has to be touching the inside of your drone all the way up the hemp you know some people have it like where so it's just a little you know you can't ever hemp perfectly or sometimes you know so you have a little bit of unevenness but the hemp is only touching in one part on the tuning slide that's no good you're going right. to get and that, but that's, that's more of a tuning that's yeah, going to be a tuning issue it's going to cause a tuning problem um, and it's sort of related. For me, that's going to be step five. Step four is way, way more important than that. What's step four? Uh, we have that. So Hal says openness of the reeds. Siri says drones cut off when too much arm pressure. Basically, calibration and optimization of reeds. Now, this is a really big topic that we're not going to talk about today at all. Um, but we need to calibrate our reeds so that they work well together. Okay, if the drone reads take more air than is required, um, that's a leak, right? We don't want to be spending more air than we have to, so that's a leak. The same is sort of true of the channel read, but, but generally speaking, we want to calibrate the drone reads uh, to have the optimal amount of air relative to the strength of the chanter read. And that's a whole other class that we'll, you know, we'll get into. We certainly talk about it a lot at Dojo U, um, but the calibration and optimization of reads is easily the most important thing, um, but uh, we have to do those prerequisites. But it can only happen if you've done one, two, and three. Of course, right. you got to get those yeah. out of the way, man. Make sure that's and it's not wasted time. It's you know, even if you do take that extra time and blow up your bag with your stocks corked and work through the list physically every session, it won't be wasted time. 
Right, and calibration of optimization of reads, and we'll talk about that some other time for sure, or uh, better yet, just buy a Dojo U membership, and you can read this. Uh, there's already several classes about it. And then so step five is... Immense uh, library of maintenance topics. Yeah, and then peripheral maintenance, tuning slides. Um, you know, some people are into uh, shine the metalwork, uh, uh, trim... Trim uh, any hemp tails. Cleaning uh, is good. You know, you gotta make, make you gotta swap out the insides of your drones every now and then because dust and other crud builds up in there sometimes. See, for me, these are peripheral. Like I really, these aren't the essential things. But yeah, every now and then you want to do that. Um, you know, I don't know what else might what else might there be things to think about. Uh, whatever. Um, um, oiling, if that's your thing, you want to oil your bores sometimes when the seasons are changing, depending on your make. Pipes, maybe. Oh. Um, yeah. So, so on and so forth. So, and but those, none of those have to do with leaks, right? So I, I leave those to last. Like those are, you, you can get a great sound without doing any of step five, even the tuning slides, as long as they're actually suspended on the slide, um, you know, it'll still have a great tone, um, and yeah. so. But but obviously, like you know, make sure your tuning slides are good, especially if you play a if you play a braid cold or something. Yeah, you know, the next day that you play, the tuning slides might be a little bit different. So you just want to check them. Generally, you know, it's something your pipe major can just yell at you for, and then you can fix it. Guess viewer ten says that taking care of your motion control systems too, and that's it. Brings up a good point, I think, with all of the stuff that's out there these days. You know, we're talking about things that go inside your bag and zipper bags and rubber grommets and all this other stuff. It's it is not a maintenance saver, <laughs> not any of it. It's actually if it does anything, it adds to your list of maintenance routines. You know, so you've got right in here, you've got four major items that is. That, that you should do if you, you're playing the sort of most bare-bones setup, traditional setup that you possibly can. Hide, bag with seasoning, and reeds. <laughs> the minute you introduce other things, you introduce another number on this list. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a given. You know, yeah. You're going to have to check tubes. You're going to have to check you know, rocks inside your <laughs> canisters. You're going to have to check um, zippers and, and making sure the rubber is, is not deteriorating. And it's, it's a whole laundry list. Of things, right? Yeah, I'm not. You know, uh, you can tell. I'm, 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 I'm a, I've gone to this to, to the simpler life. You know, I used, I played all of that stuff, and it's, it's, uh, and yes, it does work, but it is also work <laughs> to make it work. I think, I think what Vin's saying here is, regardless of your moisture control stuff, one through four has to happen first. Oh yeah. Um, well, you know, I guess in some cases maybe you'd work some moisture control into the steps before that, but. Um, but well, I mean, a lot of these, these gadgets have to, you know, they, they, they become four, uh, they become 2A, you know, or 2B, you know, on this list. You know, you, have, you really, I mean, in terms of air tightness, you have to make sure those, those tubes, if you've got them hooked up to your drones, aren't leaking, you know, yeah. um, things like that. So. Exactly. Well, I think we should wrap it up there for today. Um, and we can take any final questions. Uh, what experience have you had with zippers and hide bags ripping out? Uh, most zippers nowadays are really quite good. Um, occasionally, though, a zipper will blow out. That's the way the world works. Happens. I have found I have found most of the time on these on these uh, rubber grommeted zipper bags is that the stitching along the grommets, the little sort of rubber piece that becomes the drone holders, 
is really a culprit on a lot of a lot of these bags. You know, they, they, it's just it's you know they're poking holes through the bag to stitch it on there, and then they cover it, and that covering doesn't always last. So it's something really worth checking out. You know. Absolutely. Have a class on chanterid strength and calibrating drones. Yes, well, we, we have a lot of classes on that on Dojo University. Um, I don't know if we'll do a Dojo Universe show about that or not. We'll have to think about it. Uh, it definitely makes a case for tying things in the old-fashioned way, and we always recommend that to our customers yeah. um, at the, the Dojo. Best thing, man. It really is. Yeah, uh, we always recommend that. For a variety of reasons, number one is the airtightness, and the other reason is we believe that tonal quality um, is sacrificed when you get into grommets, um, because it, you know, the the that sort of the, the drone is not able to have that natural vibration like it would with a much tighter with a much tighter um, narrower tie-in. Yeah, and it's a controllable thing too. The simpler it gets, the more controllable it is, really. You know, because you've introduced so little variation in 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 the setup, what it, when things happen, when you have to troubleshoot, it's easier to control that, and it's easier to control the results you get, based on what you do, whether it's read changes or anything else. You can you can predict more easily what what will happen. The minute you have like rubber grommets, moisture control systems, and things like that, it becomes harder to predict what will happen when you uh, when you make changes or or control what happens given your conditions. So. It's definitely something worth considering. Definitely. All right. Well, let's let's call it in there, folks. Thank you very much for coming, and uh, uh, we certainly hope that uh, any our guests today that joined us uh, will consider joining the Dojo U community. We got lots of cool stuff going on, and uh, but otherwise we will maintenance lifestyle choice. <laughs> that's right. Uh, bagpipe maintenance is a way of life. It's not something that you do once every six months. It has to be something you do every time that you play excellent great well we'll see you later everybody thank you very much oh my gosh good luck to you bill <laughs>